Whether you have a skin interest, a skin query, a skin trauma, or skin disease, I warmly welcome you to Heal Thy Skin, a podcast brought to you by Derm Health Co. I'm Marnie, dermal clinician, dermoscopist, and your podcast host. Skin is deeper than beauty, and our mission is to build the largest platform of specialized practitioners focused on skin health and skin empowerment. Join me each week where we go deep into the skin and beyond to hear stories and education from leading practitioners on a journey of skin health. I'm guessing that just about every single one of you has got some scar somewhere on the body. Some may be more significant than others. Some may be different colors, different depths. Some may be in areas that are hidden or non-hidden and some scars are deeper than just skin. Have you ever considered what's actually happening underneath the skin deep down in the fascia when we injure ourselves? Well today I'm speaking with an expert who deals with scars just like that. Welcome to episode number 28 of the Heal Thy Skin podcast. I'm Marnie your host And today I'm speaking with Angela Thine, an occupational therapist at her private practice, Scar Care. Angela has over 25 years experience in the management of scarring and oedema following traumatic injuries, burns and surgery. She is a credentialed private practitioner to the Professor Stuart Pegg at the Adult Burn Centre at the Royal Brisbane Women's Hospital. She's also a clinical lecturer in scar and oedema and a coordinator of the Burns Rehabilitation course of the Australian and New Zealand Burn Association. I first met Angela at the Australian Lymphology Association Symposium in Sydney, and that's a mouthful, um, earlier this year, and she gave a keynote presentation really focusing on her work with burns patients and the prevalence of lymphedema following burns. And she has such a wealth of knowledge that as soon as I met her and as soon as I spoke with her and felt her energy, I knew I wanted her to be a guest on this podcast. So it's been a few months for us to be able to get our diaries to coordinate. So I'm so, so thrilled to be bringing you this episode before the close of 2019. Angela shares how her journey into occupational therapy inspired her special interest in scarring and more specifically burn scars and she shares her varied experience from private and public sectors including clinical practice, research, teaching and training. I started by asking Angela what she thought was the biggest misconception about scarring. There's three things that constantly said about scarring that I think is really a real misconception, particularly for people who are living with scarring. The first one that people like to say is that time heals all wounds, Mm. and that is not always the case. Scarring for a lot of people is a lifelong condition, and I think the less we think about scarring as something very medical that happens after an injury or a surgery... And then when people are discharged from the surgeon or the therapist that the scarring is fixed somehow, I think that's a real misconception. The other thing that people often say is that scarring is only skin deep. 
and we mm. know that's not the case. The scars on the skin is the scars that we can see, but scarring goes a lot deeper than just the skin. So scars can look really good. They can be very pale. They can be very flat. You can hardly see them, but it may be that there's a lot of tightness and pain and itch related to that scar that no one can see, that only the person themselves can feel. And so I think that's a real misconception. And probably the third one is that scarring is a physical condition. People, particularly us health professionals, we like to think of scarring as a physical condition that something we can fix. When in actual fact, if you look at scarring, and not only as health professionals, but as family members or the person themselves with a scar, if they look at scarring as something that's impacting them, not just the physical scar qualities themselves, but how that scar then impacts on their daily life. Does it impact on their sleep quality? Does it impact on their pain? Does it impact on their capacity to walk on the beach or get back into steel cap boots to go back to work? I think when we look at scarring more as, as a whole person issue rather than just a physical medical condition, I think that's incredibly important. Yeah, really interesting points. And definitely we're going to go into some of those in greater detail uh, a little later in the show. But I'd love to hear more about your career and your background. I fell into scarring literally by accident. I um, was an, a paediatric occupational therapist, so worked with kids and then unexpectedly found myself working as a, a paediatric burns OT, which I thought was something that I'd just do for a rotation in a hospital and then I'd move back to being a paediatric OT. And that, this is coming up 30 years ago and I've never, I've never left the area because as soon as I started working with children with burns, I realised that working with scarring and scarring impact is, has really become my passion. So since that very early times in my early 20s, I have worked a lot of the time in burns, but certainly in the last 15 years, I now work in all types of scarring from trauma, burns, surgical, and I now work with all the impacts of scarring. And so my other real interest area, other than just scarring and its impacts around pain and itch and altered sensation and, and functional impacts for the person. But I have a real interest in edema or swelling, uh, chronic swelling that occurs after surgery or trauma, usually because of some sort of impact from the scar. And I think both scarring and swelling uh, can be incredibly impactful. So that's, and I've, I've really had the real privilege of working across both sort of public sector and into my private practice, but I also work in, at the universities and lecture and, and get invited to be involved in research projects. And I think that it is a real emerging area, even though I've worked in it for so many years now, there's some really new, exciting, emerging treatments and perspectives around people who live with chronic long-term scars. Yeah, that's fantastic. And was there a particular moment where you thought, yes, this is what I'm going to continue doing? Or did you just find yourself continually working with these patients with scarring? I think the moment that I realised I was going to be working in paediatric burns was a moment where I real I did not want to work in that area. So that was a moment where I just thought, this is not my path. But 
literally, I can honestly tell you, within weeks of working in the Burns unit, I knew that I'd found my home. I work, it's a really strong team approach, particularly in burn scar management. And when you work in a really, really strong, well-oiled multidisciplinary team, and I'm not just talking about people who work in hospitals, but working with podiatrists, teachers, employers, dermal clinicians, being able to look at each person as an individual. And I think that's what I really love about as a health professional working in scarring and edema is that there is not a recipe. It is not a recipe-based treatment approach. It is a person-focused treatment approach. So you will have two people with very similar scarrings caused by very similar events, but depending on what the impact is on that particular person and what that particular person needs to be able to do to really live the best life they can, you get to reinvent yourself as a therapist every time you you treat somebody new. And every patient I see every day, I'm doing something slightly different. And so was there a particular moment? No, but I can literally remember within the first month of working in paediatric burns, I just knew that I'd kind of found my home and I've never left it. (laughs) Well, so wonderful that you kept an open mind. (laughs) Oh, yes. Oh, well, yes. It wasn't a hard decision to make because I truly just loved the type of work and it it really suits me as a therapist. I'm not somebody who is particularly good at at following recipes. I I really do uh, like sort of trying to think outside the square a little bit and that's really suited me. Yes, and as you've kind of explained, it is a multifaceted approach. So it's not just the physical or the aesthetics elements, but it might be the psychosocial and the physiological kind of aspects that you also need to consider for these types of people as well. So tell us about the types of scarring you treat. You did mention that you've worked with burns and you've worked post-surgery, but it would also be interesting to hear about sometimes the scarring not being visible and your experience as an OT. I kind of probably break the scarring up in my head that I work with burns. And I have to say burn scarring is quite unique in its own. Um, A hypertrophic burn scar is quite a unique type of scar experience for people who have hypertrophic burn scarring. And that's kind of where my longest history has been. I also, a lot of traumatic scars. Now that can be a whole range of reasons that somebody might have had a friction injury, a wound that takes a long time to heal. It might be that they have had a multi-trauma event where they've had a broken bone and needed some sort of plastic surgery input through a flap, for example, or skin grafting to actually close the wound. So there's a lot of traumatic injuries that aren't burns that end up with people having a lot of problems with scarring and swelling. Certainly those sort of scars are quite different to burn scars these trauma scars can often be very deep. So where with the burn scars, we're often looking at the skin and and the underlying structures just under the skin. And we get a lot of problems with pain and itch and tightness in those scars. With these trauma scars, they often can be very deep and go down into the deep layers and down into the muscle and the fascia. And we are often dealing with a lot more adhesions 
and adhesions can really not just cause problems in the local area but actually throughout the whole body. The real third area that I think is really misunderstood and probably under-treated is surgical scarring because there are so many surgeries going on every single day around the world and around Australia. And, but we know about 15% of those surgical scars will go on to develop difficult scarring. But often that scarring is in the deeper levels. So a surgical scar might be deemed as having healed well because it looks good. It's soft and it's flat and it's pale. But in mm. actual fact, it can have really impact on the person. And a really good example is abdominal surgery. And we know that abdominal adhesions, post-abdominal surgeries, can be incredibly impactful in terms of posture and pain and being able to just do normal day-to-day -day function without a lot of pain and discomfort. And so that's I do a lot of work in that area, not just early, well, and early we don't see a lot of problems because there's a lot of healing going on anyway. But often it can be years later that, that 15, 20, 40 years later, people have become very round-shouldered or, or have a very poor posture because this pain and discomfort has become so normalised. And knowing that there are things that we can actually do to help with those sort of long-term scars are, are really important. And even any sort of a lot of hand, people have had hand surgery, knee replacements, elbow replacements, shoulder surgery. Most of those won't scar, but for the ones that do, being able to tell people there's things that we can do to help is, I think, really important because they're the kind of the lost group, I think. Yeah, of course. And it's not something that necessarily expect after a knee surgery, they think that it's going to be better than before and it could possibly be worse for a small minority of people. Mm. Now, you did mention how scarring can impact someone's mobility and sometimes it's not the local area that will be affected. Are you able to explain that a little bit more, how that works? Yeah, in more recent times, our understanding of the role of fascia throughout the body has really skyrocketed. And fascia was sort of always seen as something, it was kind of left off a lot of anatomy lectures, whereas we now know that we have this superficial fascia that sits just under the skin and it really gives that skin that lovely glide between the skin and the underlying structures. And then we know that each muscle, for example, is covered by its own fascia. And I often describe to patients, it's like when you peel the chicken skin off a chicken breast and you can see all that white furry stuff. That's the fascia mm. that we're talking about. And in normal skin and normal muscle, that fascia is quite a bit like fairy floss. When we have a scar, and it can be quite a scar that just impacts on the skin and the dermis, in, say in a burn, but that can impact on the superficial fascia. And certainly when we have deeper surgeries and deeper, deeper traumas, we can get adhesions down into the deeper layers. And all an adhesion is is when two structures kind of stick together and get stuck. And we know that if you think of fascia as one big piece, especially the superficial fascia, it's one big piece across your whole body. So, for example, you might have somebody who's had quite a marked trauma or a big surgery on their hand and forearm. And one of the assessments I'll always do is that I'll look at how they walk into my clinic room. 
I'll ask them to slowly lift their arms above their head. And it's really common, for example, for people who have perhaps had a deep trauma to their hand and forearm to not be able to bring their shoulder or their arm above their head and they don't have full shoulder movement. And that's usually because, can often be because, they have, you might start digging further and find out that they've had a large tram flap donor to their abdomen or they have had a big hernia operation. And so often you can see that when people have got a couple of areas of scar that go across these fascial planes, that it can impact movement and they may not have ever thought that one is necessarily related to the other. But that's where therapists and allied health professionals are really good to actually be able to look beyond just where the local scar might be sitting and actually having a look at where is this fascial tightness across a whole movement plane. So just because your scar's on your arm doesn't mean that you shouldn't be looking at how people are being able to move their shoulders can they hang out the washing? Can they reach and get things from high cupboards? If they're an electrician, how are they going reaching around switchboards? And just listening to the person's story is really important, not just us looking at, at health professionals as the, at the scar and the swelling that we're presented with, but actually listening to the person's story about what are the troubles they're having in day-to-day and being able to see, well, working back from there. So if you've got an electrician who can't reach around into a switchboard, what else is going on for them rather than just, say, the forearm scar? What else might be happening for them? Yes, that makes complete sense. And something like two completely different surgeries over a period of a lifetime, I can understand now how that, in fact, change the way that someone is moving or being able to walk or mobility in different ways and you wouldn't first think how they're actually acting together unless you were a health professional unless you were getting the consultation and they kind of linked these two surgeries together. Yeah, and a really good example, you know, we talk a lot of in scar in scar management, we we have real special interests in hands and faces particularly, and shoulders and axillas, but I have a real fascination with feet because I think the poor Mm. feet get, and I work really closely with podiatrists because if you've got scarring to a foot, and it can be quite a small scar, and I often have people say to me, oh, you know, I've seen much worse people sitting out in the waiting room. I've got nothing to complain about. Was it somebody might have quite a small scar on their foot, Mm. but can't tolerate rubbing from shoes. They can't stand because of the itch that they get. They get terrible pain at night, which means that their sleep is really badly disturbed. They start walking slightly differently to favour that foot and suddenly they're getting knee, hip pain on the other side Um, and suddenly their low back pain starts to flare up. And so actually recognising that it's not the scar that as the health professionals looking at in that moment in time, but listening to how that scar impact is affecting that person's whole life really gives, should give us a really clear direction on where our therapy should go. Yeah, that's a really good point. And you mentioned earlier about how scars can affect the lymphatic system, 
particularly burn scars. Is traditional decongestive therapy a treatment that you would do for these patients or does it completely change? No, in actual fact, it's, I think one of the things we need to do is really, and something like podcasts like this is so important. We need to start demystifying scarring and swelling. And there are so many really easy self-management things that people can do to manage their own scars and swelling. And probably lymphatic drainage is one of those. I must admit, anyone who works through my door gets touched. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't trust myself just to look at the scar and to look at the swelling and to measure it. I want to feel where the tightness is. I want you to point where the pain and the itch is. I want you to explain to me with your hands where you're feeling the pulling when you're standing or walking. And then actually looking at, well, how do we start releasing some of that scar? And often people can't even look at or touch their scars because everyone avoids touching it. Everyone avoids looking at it, including the person themselves. So the first step might be just doing some really kind lymphatic drainage to just start getting people looking at and touching their own scars. And so once again, when people come and see me for the first session, I will touch, but I may do nothing but just keep my hands still on a particular area just to get people comfortable at the thought that it's okay to touch a scar and it's okay to touch swelling. And then some really easy, simple lymphatic drainage techniques Yes, anyone who's trained in any lymphatic drainage and people say to me all the time, I love coming to you to do it because you can do it so much easier. And I say, I can because it's my day-to-day -day job. But every time you put moisturiser on this scar or on this swollen area after your shower, I'm going to show you how to rub the moisturiser in. So yes, you're putting moisturiser on, but now I'm going to teach you how to put the moisturiser on in a way that you're actually getting some lymphatic drainage. Do people need full decongestive therapy? Not often. The main people who do are people with very deep circumferential scarring, say after burns or necrotizing fasciitis, that go fully around circumferentially the whole limb. And sometimes people who have really problematic swelling and scarring after, say, a big fracture. And they're probably the only people who need full decongestive therapy, in my opinion. Most other people, we can do some lymphatic drainage, some scar release, and maybe some light compression bandaging to get the swelling down. But it's a really effective way. When I see somebody with a really swollen hand or elbow or knee or foot, often functional improvements can't occur until we've got that rid of that swelling. And swelling is actually, at its core, quite easy to get rid of when you use a very, very deliberate program yes. of how you're going to get rid of it. Yes. And Angela, how are some of the ways that you treat scarring in your practice? 
Well, there's the traditional ways that we've always treated scarring. And I don't say that everyone has to have all of these. I'm really big on the concept of the burden of treating scars. Treating scars is time consuming and it's costly in terms of financial, but also in terms of emotion. So it's not that everyone has to do everything. And it's one of those situations where more isn't more sometimes less is more. So I would prefer people to do fewer things well that reduces the impact on their life or on their time or on their finances. So some of the most well-evidenced ways we treat scarring is through compression or pressure, where we apply pressure to scars. Silicon therapy is a really well-evidenced way to treat scarring. Uh, there's a lot more in the use of scar taping now, which uses a real mechanotransduction approach to reducing scar tension. And a lot of, particularly in surgical scars, a lot of the scar prevention techniques will be scar taping to reduce tension on scars. And the main thing that we like people to do is massage and moisturise. So hydrate the scar with a really great moisturiser. And I've certainly learned a lot about moisturisers from the dermal clinicians. Really good sun protection and just massage. And I'm not so strict about the actual technique that has to be this type of stroke this many times, this many times a day. Just getting people to look at, touch and move their scars with or without moisturiser, whether you're trying to do it for scar hydration or whether you're trying to do it for scar mobility and to look at adhesions is really, really important. Probably there's a real body of evidence now about some real emerging treatments. I personally use a lot of scar massage, um, myofascial release, and I also use vacuum therapy. So I do use a lot of suction cupping and I do use a mechanical vacuum therapy that not only lifts the scar with negative pressure, but then actually breaks down adhesions by mechanical rollers. And I use that on all scar types. I've just started using a shockwave machine, so focused shockwave therapy, which is a real emerging technique, particularly out of Europe. The use of a blade of fractional CO2 lasers, there's some excellent evidence emerging about its effectiveness in scar tightness and itch. There's other things like pulse dye lasers that are certainly coming back to the fore. And there's things like microneedling. So microneedling's become really big in the cosmetic area, but there's some really great emerging evidence about the use of microneedling of certain needle lengths in terms of reducing scar tightness, the scar itch and increasing elasticity. Mm, so certainly you've got lots of things in your tool belt, some being more less invasive, others going more to the more invasive and more downtime type treatments. So Angela, how do you manage the expectations and also measure the success of a treatment? So most people think when they're coming for scar treatment that it's about the cosmesis and the scar appearance. And although scar appearance does is important to people, 
people who are living with scars and chronic swelling because of scarring, it's never the top of the list. So it doesn't matter whether somebody's got a brand new scar seven days post-surgery or post-burn or whether they're 50 years post-injury and have a problem scar that is still persisting. I always look at their goals. What do they need from me? And so once I think managing expectations is the first thing to do is actually ask people what they want from their scar therapy. And once you have talked them through what their goals are, I can honestly say I've never said that I'll never be able to do anything to help that. So it's then a sliding scale. So, and it's also different time frames. So it's actually talking to people about if your goal, so somebody recently who has a very, very old neck scar, for example, and she had very specific goals about being able to wear necklaces. And that's something that we could achieve very quickly in three sessions. So this is a lady who'd never worn necklaces ever because of this very, very old hypersensitive scar. And you can actually get some very, very quick results with things like that. If it's an old trauma scar that has a lot of altered sensation and chronic pain, might be an amputation that has a lot of scarring, the likelihood of me being able to fully resolve their pain is very low. But as I say to people, let's start and I might be able to reduce your pain by 50%. Mm. And people might be really happy with that, especially people who, for example, have decided they don't want to take pain medications. And if I can determine that pain is related to some scar adhesions and I can release some of those scar adhesions, we should see some reduction in the pain. But once again, relating that back, why do you want less pain? Because another patient at the moment who really wants to be able to go out on the tinny with her husband to fish, mm. but at the moment, the banging from the waves is just too painful so being able to manage expectations is about finding out what their goals are and saying well if we do these interventions that are going to take this much time and cost this much money this is the goal that we're hoping for and people are usually especially people who have just lived with scar pain discomfort and tightness for a long time they're always shocked at how quickly things resolve and usually within the first session people will see a real reduction in their difficulties and the impact and that can become quite motivating but some people will come for three sessions and meet all their goals in three sessions and other people might need some more so i think it given that each person's individual each people have different goals and each person will need different types of interventions based on their scar presentation i think just being really upfront and listening to the person's story and being to, able to apply the least burdensome treatment you can is the way to manage expectations in terms of measuring success we have really learned the hard way not to just say well we're the health professional and we're saying that your scar is softer and better therefore it is it doesn't work like that mm. it doesn't actually matter how much better i think the scar is and i of course i'll measure the scar qualities of pliability and height and elasticity and color so i can measure all of those in my clinical skill and i can actually measure how effective my treatment has been in terms of scar quality 
the most important thing we're interested in is the patient or the person's perception of their scar quality and improvement. And so we use some really quick, short, very, very good tools like the patient and observer scar assessment scale that allows them to be able to judge their scar improvement. And that's by far the most the thing that I, I pay most attention to. Yes, and I think you've highlighted there just the importance of a consultation. And for anyone that is seeking scar treatment, it is so important not just to look at the modalities that perhaps are good at treating scarring, but find a practitioner that is actually going to work with you on your expectations of the treatment. Because as you mentioned before, it's not simply just about aesthetics. It can be about reducing itch. It could be about reducing pain, etc. I think one of the real problems with scar treatment is that it's a whole industry on its own. So I have two points here. There's a whole industry about scarring and you get bombarded when you have a scar and you're desperate to for that scar to get better or to be less itchy. When you see an ad for a certain type of cream or a certain type of beauty technique, that will reduce your scar appearance by 79% or something like that, you do get drawn to that. When in actual fact, you need an assessment. You're 100% right. You need an assessment to find out what is actually the problem with the scar because the thing that might be promising a 79% improvement in scar outcome might be talking about the research for that is something totally irrelevant to what your scar difficulty is. The other problem I find with scarring is that everyone's got scars, everyone has some advice. Mm. And one of the, my, the biggest problems that my patients report is that they'll be following my treatment, but then there aren't quite, quite with all the best intentions <laughs> will say, no, don't do that. I got a burn two years ago and I put this particular type of oil on and I don't have any scars. And what I say to people is you don't know what type of burn. She may have had a very superficial sunburn and put on this oil that was fine for her, but that's not what you've got. And there's always people with very, very well-meaning advice and occasionally some of my patients will stop what they're doing with me to do what I've got a patient at the moment who's a taxi driver gave him some advice and he stopped what he's doing with us and has is now doing what the taxi driver advised (laughs) because the taxi driver was talking about his terrible injury and he has no scars as a result and it's been really problematic this particular person's really gone backwards and we're back on track now but it's all comes from a very well-meaning place And I think I never, ever blame any of my patients or the people who come and see me for that because you know that when you've got a problem scar or some difficult swelling, you will literally do anything to fix it. And when somebody tells you, well, try this because this worked for me, people do try it and that's okay. You know, that's okay. I've learned a lot from the people I see in terms of things that they've tried. And I think being able to stay a bit open-minded as a health professional is really worthwhile. So as a dermal clinician, we treat the skin, but in theory, there may be underlying scarring that we do not see. So in your experience, is it better to treat the scar superficially or the deeper kind of fascia scarring first and this is more related to the scarring aspect not so much the itching etc 
I think you can do both. And I think it also depends on the mechanism that the scarring occurred. So if you've got somebody with scarring that you know is more dermal, you can primarily look at treating that dermal scarring or the cutaneous skin scarring. And usually from what you're going to be doing with that anyway, you're going to be avoiding any deeper problems. So you will inadvertently be preventing any deeper problems by your more cutaneous or skin scarring treatments that you're doing. It's probably more when you have somebody who their mechanism of scarring is something that has gone into the deeper layers. So an electrical burn that we know has gone down into the underlying structures, a fracture repair that we know has gone through all the muscle layers down to the bone, a tendon repair where we know that it's gone through the fascial layers. So once you know that the mechanism by either the surgery or the trauma itself has gone into the deeper layers, you can be treating your superficial scar and just modify things a little bit so you are actually at the same time preventing deeper adhesions or deeper problems. So I don't think it necessarily is a matter of doing one first or you could do them both at the same time just being aware about well, where could potentially these adhesions or scars occur in the deeper layers if it was a deeper trauma or, or deeper surgery if you do have deep adhesions or if you do have a tendon or nerve repair or you do have a lot of hardware from a fracture repair you do need to be a lot more careful about how vigorously you treat those deeper layers because the one thing I will say is that as a therapist, I'm always really conscious of is there anything that I can do to actually cause difficulties? And that is my number one guiding light when I'm actually laying my hands on somebody or applying the vacuum therapy to somebody is I don't want to do anything that is going to cause any problems. I don't ever want to disrupt a tendon repair or a nerve repair. I'm very cautious around hardware from fracture repairs. I'm very, I am incredibly cautious around any areas that I've known that know have been meshed, like hernias or deep reconstructive flaps and things like that. So having a really good assessment that you actually know what's going on in the deeper layers. So you just know that any massage techniques that we're doing, for example, or any devices that we're applying like shockwave therapy or vacuum therapy, that we're accepting that we can impact on other factors. And DVT is a really good one. So if somebody is at DVT risk, we really need to be careful about our massage and, and compression. If somebody is has an active cancer is or having active cancer treatment, that can be a real precaution. So having a real good understanding about all the precautions around what we're doing is is incredibly important as well. Yeah, so important. Good point. Now, in your role, Angela, as a clinical lecturer in scar and oedema management, what do you think is missing from scar management in for the education for OTs or body work and skin therapists? I really like to think that unis giving sort of allied health professionals and massage therapists and dermal clinicians and OTs and physios, I like to think that the unis are giving the 
capacity for allied health and medical professionals to look at somebody holistically. I don't see that there's a place for people to necessarily leave uni fully versed in how to treat a scar. But what I like to think in the uni course that I lecture in, that people realise that scars impact, that scars Mm. have an impact and require assessment and considered treatment planning. So what I like uni students to be able to do is to be able to recognise when there is scars or swelling that are causing problems. And I say that to all my students, just because somebody has a scar doesn't mean it's a problem. Mm. So a really good example is that you might have somebody who has quite significant facial scarring and to you it's quite confronting and you think I want to fix that and I want to help that person but if they say no I've got no problems I've got no pain I've got no itch I'm not a supermodel it Mm. doesn't bother me that's okay if it doesn't bother them it doesn't matter that it bothers us because I know to treat facial scarring it takes a huge amount of commitment for that person to be involved in the treatment. So that's a really good example where, and I've got a really great slide that I put up with different types of facial scars and just talking to people about, you know, some people aren't bothered or sometimes even facial scarring is a cultural sign of strength. So we need to sort of shelve our own preconceptions On the flip side, you might have somebody who has such a tiny scar in a non-visible place that you don't even give it any second thought, but it might be so itchy or so hyperpigmented that it's incredibly impactful on that person. So I want students to be able to leave uni to recognise that scarring and edema can cause problems. Not all scarring needs to be fixed by us because sometimes Mm. people are fine with it that they look at scarring in a biopsychosocial way, that it's not just the physical scar characteristics, but it's the psychosocial and the environmental factors that will impact on their scar outcome. And that more is not better. And I think, you know, just because there's these 10 scar interventions that we can do doesn't mean we should do them, that Mm. each individual needs a very considered treatment approach depending on the age of the scar the roles the person needs to do and giving the patient or the person who we're treating a really good expectation about if you do this what's the outcome that we can expect for you yes absolutely what do you think will change in the management of scars in the future I think we're moving out of this phase where we're, which has gone for decades, where we've been looking at how do we impact on the scar once it's already occurred. And I think our new way of thinking about scars is how can we change the signalling that creates scars. So some people develop terrible scars, some people scar beautifully and have no real functional impact of their scarring. So how can we actually early on impact on the signaling that happens with scars to actually prevent or reduce the scar in the first place. I also think that we've come out of this period where we've kind of we've told people you kind of have this time frame. You've got two years in order to get this scar as good as you possibly can and then there's not much we can do. I think that is absolutely being turned on its head. Yes, we want people to treat their scars as well as they possibly can in the first year or two, 
and that will be a really good indicator in long-term scar outcome. But for all those thousands and thousands and thousands of people who are now out there living with difficult scarring, lifelong, it might be two years, it might be, you know, 52 years, there are things we can now do to help your quality of life and your function and your pain and itch and your tightness even with very old scars and a lot of that is with a lot of these new emerging modalities and that doesn't mean expensive machines it is as our understanding of fascial tightness improves using my fascial techniques can be incredibly powerful using once again it doesn't have to be the really expensive vacuum therapy machines you know there's a lot of therapists now using things like suction cupping and helping people with a home program with suction cupping so i think there's going to be a lot happening around the area of microneedling and laser and that's going to just our, our knowledge in that area is just going to keep improving but the two big frameworks i think will change in the future is how do we prevent scarring in the first place by looking at the signaling pathways and how can we therapeutically change the signaling pathways and a lot of that is around scar tension and prevention of adhesions and then on the flip side opening the door back to all these people who have these lifelong difficult scars that we now can do things for yes what a wonderful future for scarring and i mean i've seen scarring that's been 25 30 years old and with a course of different modalities has changed significantly so yeah that's really exciting to hear I'd love to hear a couple of pieces of advice from you for someone that may be listening that's experiencing some scarring and how they can manage it or assist it at home. So if somebody's at home with a, do you mean a new scar or an old scar? Let's say it's a new scar and they're wondering how they can best manage it to reduce the implications of poor scarring outcomes. Well, if it's a new scar, I get a lot of people ringing me to say, can I come and see you? I've had a big BCC cut out of my forehead. And what I say is at the first put of call, follow your surgeon's advice. So there's no need for us to jump in too early. Remembering that only about 15% of surgical scars will become a problem scar. So most of the time, just following your surgeon's advice after your surgery is the best way to prevent a scar. Getting things healed early with minimal disruption. So follow your surgeon's advice. The second thing for these new scars is that if you feel that are two weeks and three weeks are going past and the scar is healed, you've followed the advice and the scar is still feeling numb or painful or itchy or tight, that there are things that you can start doing. Scar taping is a really wonderful way to manage early scars and there's lots of good silicon products on the market now, silicon gels and silicon tapes and silicon is excellent for scar prevention. But the main thing I like people to do as soon as they can and as soon as they get their surgeons okay to do is looking at and touching their scars using moisturiser and hydrating scars is about the best thing you can do. 
And don't be worried if you are feeling that suddenly it's six weeks and eight weeks post. At that point, if you're still having problems, seek advice from somebody who knows about scars because usually it's quite easy at that point to jump in and to do some scar management. The bigger problem is that when people don't seek advice or keep doing change, chopping and changing because of everyone's advice, and suddenly six months later they have a thick, hard, stuck scar that's painful and itchy. They're mm. trickier to manage. There's still lots of things we can do for them. So that's with the new scars. With the older scars, my advice is, is if you're, I had a totally by fluke bumped into a patient of mine who I hadn't seen for about eight years yesterday, and he's gone really, really well. He's really happy, but he's got into running and does a lot of running. And he said, my only problem is that I get really, really tight behind my knees when I'm running. And mm. I've just said to him, come and see me. We're going to do, you know, two or three sessions of some scar release behind his knees and that will really help. So don't, my other advice for people is to to not just think I have to live with this. And people often get told that by some health professionals. That's what you're left with. It might be post-mastectomy scarring or post-radiation scarring. And people are almost left to feel, well, this scarring is the cost of me having my life saved. And that is absolutely true. I'm not denying that. But just because you feel grateful that you've had your life saved by this life-saving surgery doesn't mean that your penance then is living with this painful scar lifelong, that there are things that we can do to help that scarring that doesn't always have to be about additional surgery. That's excellent advice. And that's the last point particularly. I've heard a couple of scar specialists mention that. And I think it's important to remember that if you do want to, there is always some kind of option. And that's a really good advice is because I think a lot of people do just think that the only option for scar reconstruction is surgical. And that some people have to have surgical reconstruction there. And I work with a lot of plastic surgeons and general surgeons, but just because there's not a surgical fix doesn't mean there is no fix. And just because you may not have be a surgery that can help you coming to see any type of health professional, dermal clinician, OT, physio, who specialises in SCAR, who can look at you from a functional point of view. It can really be about really reducing some of those symptoms that are causing the functional problems and it doesn't always have to be a surgical fix. Yeah, fantastic advice. Angela, where can people find more about the work that you do? I have a website, which most of my patients tell me is terrible, but I call it a <laughs> static brochure. So um, my website is www.starcare.com.au and in the frequently asked questions, it's got a lot of information about some of the conservative scar treatments that are available to people. And yeah, so my website's available and I'm always well interested to talk to other clinicians or patients around and give people advice over people who can't obviously come to Brisbane or don't live nearby or don't have facilities, you know, feel free to email me and I generally know people around that I can sort of either direct you to or, or give you some advice. 
Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on today's show. It was fantastic to hear from a different point of view to treat scarring. It was a real pleasure. Great. Thanks so much. Thank you. Can't you just hear the passion in Angela's voice? I just love speaking with people that are so, so dedicated to the cause. And Angela literally has spent her entire career, 25 years on scarring and on edema following scarring. Such an amazing woman doing amazing things. Now, the three deeper than skin insights that stood out to me were, number one, this is more of a life insight then a skin insight, but I loved hearing how Angela was placed at a burns ward early in her career, and initially she thought it just wouldn't be her thing, but then once she started, she never left. Life has a really funny way of nudging us in directions that we don't quite understand, and since she's been in this industry, Angela has played a significant role in both patients' lives and specializing in scars in her field. The industry is really lucky to have her. So we just sometimes need to have a little bit more trust in what's just how life is going to play out. Number two, scars are not always about appearances. They can be about the itch, the tightness, the lack of sensation, increased sensation. And a scar the size of a five cent piece can cause as much discomfort as a scar many times the size for someone else. Scars are extremely individual and they must be treated as such. And I think unless we have a scar that causes discomfort, itch or loss of sensation ourselves, then all we really can do for someone else that is experiencing this is ask them how they're going through it. We can't assume that a big scar is causing them a lot of um turmoil and a small scar is nothing to think about so it's really individual and we must treat it that way and number three well my experience in the treatment of scarring is really within the epidermal and dermal layers of the skin it's superficial yes aesthetics but also just skin care uh, skin barrier um, function and reducing itch etc I just found it so fascinating, however, to hear how a scar on a hand may affect the movement of the shoulder and then a scar later on down the track from a different point in time, perhaps in the back, can then have an effect and cause on postural issues many, many years later. It's just an area that was never covered in my studies because it's not within my scope, but this point really just highlighted to me how important collaborative practice is. And I was silently jumping inside the whole episode or the whole interview with Angela as it's just another moment of proof of concept for the Derm Health Co platform. Have you checked it out yet? It is a platform dedicated to skin health and we are growing the resources even more in 2020. But to date, we have over 700 practitioners, including lymph specialists, scar specialists, skin cancer clinics, and also support groups. So it's a resource for both patients to find practitioners and for practitioners to use as a resource for either recommendations and collaboration. I would love for you to check it out and you can find it at www.dermhealth.co.
Now, as the end of 2019 is coming to a close, we'll be taking a short break over Christmas and returning at the start of Jan 2020. So you can binge listen to any episodes you may have missed or re-listen to some that you may not have taken any notes for. And we'll be bringing you some new episodes at the start of January. So we're starting with a well-known dermatologist, a Sydney-based plastic surgeon and the Melanoma Foundation. I hope you have a wonderful Christmas. You can connect with me on social media in the meantime over on our Instagram page, which is dermhealth.co. I'll see you all soon. Bye. If you know someone experiencing a skin conditional concern and you're enjoying these episodes, then be sure to share the podcast with them. It may help them on their skin health journey more than you realize.